Hello and welcome to The Game Is About Glory. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me for, uh, well, just a little chat between old pals is Milo. Hello, mate. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Very good. And we are once again going for pace on this week's pod, which means we will be available mere moments after finishing this recording. So as we always say, excuse any bumps, squeaks, crackles or errant fuck that, which are doubtless sprinkled upon amongst our attempts to come to grips with what exactly is happening at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. Uh, you know, look, keeping with that theme, uh, Milo and I, um, that little chat, and we decided we were going to flip our order with the pod tonight to start with the 1-0 victory over Fulham at Craven Cottage. And then we'll look back at the week that was and all that malarkey. Uh, does that sound good to you, Milo? I kind of ended on an odd break. I said, malarkey? <laughs> it's a little odd, that, wasn't it? That's live for you. <laughs> you, you, you're trying to make out that it's um, ad-lib. You, you've written it like that in the notes. Well, that's the point. That's, I, I had to write malarkey like that so I didn't say malarkey, which sounds like a, a player we might have signed in the transfer window. What more? <laughs> More about that stuff or not. Later. Exactly. Um, look, uh, before any of this, though, uh, we do want to say a few words about former academy player Anton Walks, who sadly passed away last week. Uh, Walks uh, was playing for the MLS side Charlotte FC, and he died after a boating accident near Miami. Um, Charlotte FC announced Walks' death on Thursday morning. He was 25, and look, all our thoughts uh, with his family and, friend, and, and friends and, and everyone who knew him. Shocking. Just awful. Indeed. Indeed. So, well, Milo, uh, let's get right into it. Tonight's 1-0 victory over Fulham at Craven Cottage. Uh, as ever, uh, we start with the team selection. What did you think? Any surprises? Um, not particularly. I think, I mean, obviously people were calling for Sun to be dropped. My understanding is that Conte is nursing Richarlison back after that injury. He doesn't want to rush him back too quickly and pick up another knock. Um, other than that, you know, Perisic retaining his place. Royale retaining his place. Um, yeah, no, I think it, I think it made sense broadly. What yeah, do think, you think? I, I think we were all quite surprised that he didn't make a change, but this just plays into something else we'll get into as we discuss the Fulham game that there is right now such a cacophony of noise and uncertainty around the club that you almost find your own logic getting dragged into the grey areas of public opinion. And I certainly found that myself when I looked at the team selection. It was like, what? He hasn't, yeah, he hasn't rested Sonny and he's still going 3 4 3. It's if, and if you take a step back, it, it was an absolutely an Antonio Conte selection and it's exactly what he would do mm. under normal circumstances. But these are not normal times and so our opinions yeah. are getting dragged into odd areas and, i think and i i, I, I speak for myself there but so. i think you've also got to look at the you know man city game which we're going to talk to later on and you know certainly in the first half we played very well um you know it was a, it was a good that was a good performance and you know we yeah it was individual fuck-ups that, that cost us in that game and yes. i think conte probably when he's looking at that game thinking well you know, is are there poor performances here rather than mistakes? Is it you know, is there a, a systematic issue here? Um, I mean, neither of those were evident from you know the first half. Richarlison isn't isn't fit to start to play a full game. Um, you know, if I drop Lloris, then that's him. That's him gone, and he's club captain. Yeah. Which, you know, is absolute, these, which is so, absolutely right. Yeah, you know, I mean, so you, you look at all those things and say, well, actually, in which case, I'm not making a lot of changes. Yeah, and and again, we're into that whole and and this is I think it's going to be a recurrent theme for a little while until the ship settles uh, uh, around N17 that we're going. We, you know, everyone is getting dragged into the court of public opinion because there's so much of it going around and there's so little clarification from the club or Antonio or anyone as to what's going on behind the scenes, and, uh, which is their right. You know, and I think as fans, 
we're always looking for a magic bullet solution, aren't we? We're not getting the results. So, you know, firstly, we're reacting to a result rather than the performance, you know, or, you know, and then we're thinking, right, well, if we change it for, you know, to four at the back, then all of these problems are fixed. Ignoring the fact that when we were playing four at the back under the last manager, we were absolute shit. And, you know, these- Milo, Milo, this week we have discussed, uh, makeup sex, uh, regularly. Uh, but we should assure people that that's not amongst the game is about glory's uh, uh, pod team. It's it, you know we're looking back at old oh. managers and old loves. You're absolutely right. We're, we're all looking for the magic bullet, and that extends to team selections and changes we think should be made. But it wasn't made. It was you know logically what it would be under Antonio Conte. And and, and how do you, how do you think it went? Uh, let's look at the first half. You know, uh, primarily. Um, I thought. I mean, it, the the first half was was hard work. Fulham came out very strong. Um, early on, we tried to press, but that, it didn't last long. And certainly as the half went on, um, Fulham ha- were well on top. I think similar to the City game, obviously, you know, we ended the half well. And in fact, you know, the goal came at you know very similar time in both games. And um, I think we were probably, we probably would have been you know, very happy to go in 1-0 up at half time considering that you know we'd really weathered the storm in in that half and and I think probably more disappointingly like silly mistakes were creeping into the game the the players started you can almost see it every week when the players start doubting themselves and doubting each other and then um you know then the loose passes come in and then the sloppy tackles come in and the you know we give away a free kick and the, the pressure piles on and we struggle to clear our lines and um yeah, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a pretty first half, I don't think, but um, no, it, we ended well. It, what it suggested to me is, you know, a couple of things. Number one, I'm back into that like court of public opinion that were that I find myself getting dragged um, uncomfortably into at times because I was very critical in the first twenty minutes of what was going on and harumphing and grumping, uh, sitting uh, as I was in my uh, nipple friendly uh, diving shirt, you know, in in you know in concert with the side and feeling every kick that they were getting. By the way. Some of the things that were let go, I was not happy mm. with uh, in terms of physicality from Fulham. Uh, but what I thought was really interesting to me was so much of what his system is about right now seems to rely on how much the players are buying in and what the trust is. And it's such a thin margin, uh, you know, the, the, the levels of performance and confidence when, you know, when we're in the place we're in. And I don't know how you felt, but I mean, this is an unscientific analysis uh, of what happened. But uh, to me, Emerson Royale was the player tonight who stepped up and really started to win some pretty important possessions, started to do some pretty important things going forward and sort of seemed to kickstart a mini revival in that last 10, 15 minutes of the first half, which of course culminated in Harry's goal. Uh, it seemed that we, you know, before that, as you say, there were, you know, those little sloppy passes and you're just wondering how much the players are buying into it and buying into Antonio and then you start thinking well he hasn't signed a new contract and you you know you're ambling off into these areas of weird thought and suddenly it became much crisper that last 10-15 minutes of the first half and I saw Emerson Royal essential to it yeah I mean I I would say I mean Royal would be my man of the match um for both of the, for both of those the games we're going to talk about so he's my man of the match man of the pod uh for both man games I think he was ex- excellent in both of them um yeah. i don't think that our turnaround in the first half was down to him i think it's game state i think you know the games swing and you know he was uh involved in in stuff getting forward but i don't think he, i don't think he was the catalyst for that change mm-hmm. um and in terms of kind of those sloppy mistakes 
Fulham were just very, very quick at pressing us, uh, pressing us very quick to close us down. And um, I think for you know the way we're trying to play those, you know, those quick passes, you know, those reflex passes that you know we work endlessly on the training ground. You've you've got to you've got to trust in them, and and particularly, you know, the problem is is that a lot of those are kind of blind passes, and if you've got two men closing down the the player in receipt, then that play breaks down and it comes back at you, and that's what we were seeing. Yeah, I mean, I heard you. I had your uh, words uh, of, of a pre-pod meeting we had a couple of days ago echoing in my head, actually, throughout that first half until that last 10, 15 minute spell, which is we've been sussed and Thomas Tuchel yeah. sussed us. And so it really did come down to, OK, how much are we going to com- keep sticking with this system? I mean, I'm sitting there thinking three, five, two, three, five, two, three, five, two. But we stuck with it at that, despite, you know, again, another complaint, you know, Sonny's being dragged I mean, how can he find form when he's 35 yards from his own goal, receiving a ball with his back to goal and have and having two players on him immediately? He's not going to find form there. And, and lo and behold, when he's up top running onto a ball, he gets an assist. You know, it's not rocket science. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think 3-5-2 solves our problems. You know, when we talk about kind of magic bullet solutions, you know, it, it leaves us uh, short of no. creativity. And um, I still think that opposing managers will be very quick to close down uh, balls coming out so um, I think there are players in our squad it suits better I mean, particularly if you want to incorporate Basuma then Basuma is certainly better playing in front of um, someone you know in, in a three-man midfield and yeah his good performances or better performances for us this season have, have come in that formation but I don't think Basuma is necessarily the solution to our to our ills at the moment and no um, I just just to say, just to add, I'm not saying that what I was thinking three five two three five two is in any way a, a, an answer to anything. I'm just I'm back in that sort of pocket where I found myself for much of the game tonight uh, before the goal, which is getting dragged into that grey area of the yeah. court of public opinion. And I've said it a few times, but I'm kind of alarmed at myself and my own reactions in the last couple of weeks. And you know, maybe it's a very human reaction. So no, I, I agree with you, but that's where I was. You know, yeah, I mean, and I'm not a professional coach. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just know. to state that for the obvious, <laughs> we we're all in our echo chambers, you know, wherever those echo chambers are, and you know, we're all we've all got a Spurs echo chamber that we're part of, and we all hear yeah. these messages, and you hear it, you know, week in week out between games, and yeah, um, it can be difficult not not to um, you know, not to buy into that or not to you know think yeah. those are the solutions, and yeah, some of them some of them might be, some of them might not, but when you're hearing it all the time and everyone's saying the same thing with the same voice, um, it becomes a bit. Bit overwhelming, doesn't it? I, yeah. I mean, I think what I'm surprised at, and you know, this is what we were talking about when we had a, a chat at the weekend, was that um, Conte didn't change any of this up during the World Cup. It's, there, there's, there's different. You don't have to change the formation to change the patterns. You don't have to. You know, you've got to try and. You know, he's trying to work the ball out of out of defence quickly and try and spring you know defence into attack when a t- after drawing a team on. And I do think that teams have worked that out to a degree. They've worked out how to close that down and how to leave, you know, leave us camped in our own half, um, unless you get a you know, moment of brilliance from a player. And I, I think there are ways within this system that he, you know, within this formation that he could have altered it, and he doesn't appear to have done that. Do do we not think that Emerson increasingly showing up uh, inside more and more? And higher up as he has been is is some sort of uh, reflection of an alteration. I mean, I'm ask, I'm asking you because I know that you are uh, more scientific about this than I am. I'm more like lemons and auras, and and I mean, not to play to our stereotypes and so on and so forth. I mean, I mean we'll discuss this. I, I'm I'm interested in your opinion there. 
I mean, maybe I'm maybe I'm just on Emerson Royale's fan club uh, drive tonight because you know I do love a lost cause, right? <laughs> I don't think he's a lost cause, by the way, but you know what I mean. Um, I mean, you're forgetting that I've forgotten which game it was last season where he turned up at left midfield and did a sweeping crossfield ball that resulted in a goal. So this isn't something that's new. Um, you know, in which case we should be doing it more often. Yeah, I mean, you know, Emerson Royal, <laughs> Emerson Royal does what Emerson Royal does. Um, are you suggesting he does what he wants? He does no, what he wants. No, no, Emerson I think, Royal, he does what he wants. Um, no, I, I don't. I don't think there's been a tactical change there. He's. Gotcha. I think there's freedom within the system to roam a little bit. Okay. And um, yeah, I don't. I, I, I don't think that's the case. I mean, it's a problem because. You know, he has played well these last two games and you know before that Doherty was playing quite well after you know we came back after the World Cup but neither of them the solution you know the solution to that position in in this system and you you know they're playing well by their own standards and you know by the standards of a team that's in you know it's been in pretty bad run of form um but ideally they're not getting in the team and that's that's harsh indeed but let's talk about someone who most certainly is getting in the team every single week um, and is the first name on our team sheet um, and uh, has now uh, equaled uh, record goal scorer of all time, Jimmy Greaves, um, with his uh, superb finish tonight. Mm. Um, I can only be talking about uh, Harry Kane. I probably didn't even say the name, did I? Not really. <laughs> no. Well... Uh, how much more can we say? I mean, how 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 much more can we eulogise the man? I mean, there he is, uh, you know, sort of punting about quite quietly for you know for forty minutes, and and all of a sudden he gets a sniff, he gets a yard, and I mean, I don't know about you, uh, the moment he shifted, I'm like, it's going, it's going to end up in the back of the net. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely, and uh, it was a lovely, lovely bit of um, bit of play because he's you know shielding the ball the keeper can't see it he's got two defenders in front of him and he almost uses the last defender to bend it around and into the corner yeah um it was a really clever clever bit of play and you know it was the first you know good chance he'd had in the first half really wasn't it he hadn't seen much before then nobody had nobody had in a a diving kit shirt (laughs) (laughs) um yeah no just just a wonderful goal and i think i mean when we started this pod the Greaves record felt quite a long way away. So, you know, a couple of years ago, we were looking at the, looking at how, how far he had to go. And, you know, obviously you think that summer when you had the, um, the Man City rumors, links and all that stuff. And when he came back from that, you're looking at, you, you know, you're constantly looking at these records that he's breaking as you're going along. You're thinking, how far is he going to do that? If he stays one more season, is he going to do that? You know, how long does he have to stay in order to beat this record? Um, and it's a huge achievement. There, you know, there aren't many, um, there aren't many players who are going to stay with the club long enough in order to kind of break those kind of records. And you know, he's in some really, really, really you know, exalted company now, really, isn't he? In terms right. of right, I mean, and records. and this is something. This is something that we do need to emphasise just one more time. It, it can never be overemphasised. We're not just talking about equaling and and surpassing, which he will uh, in the next few games. Um, you know, a club's leading goal scorer. We're talking about surpassing Jimmy Greaves who is one yeah. of the greatest goal scorers ever in British football. So it, it's, it's sort of the, the, the magnitude of his achievement here cannot be, uh, cannot be uh, overrated. It really can't be. Um, Steph, I mean, in terms of kind of Spurs legends, so, you know, he's, he's, he's up there with Greaves now. You know, I'm trying to think of the words. You know, so, you know, realistically, are we putting him with Greaves? Are we putting him with Hoddle? Are we putting him with, you know, the same category as our, our greatest ever players? A hundred percent. No doubt in my mind at all. And I know that people will say, you know, well, 
he hasn't won anything with us yet. Uh, the, you know, put put that aside. You know, I've seen some uh, really poor players win Champions League trophies uh, in my time. Uh, you know, as of you, as of all of us. So put that aside. That that requires a certain amount of luck. The consistency of performance that this man has had in his career with Tottenham Hotspur absolutely makes him one of our legends. And he would be, if you're going to build like five statues or even three statues of players outside the club, he's absolutely one of those players at this point in my opinion yes mm, i'd agree with that i think the one yep. that the one that upsets me a bit is when people start talking about premier league greats and he ends up being quite far down the list and you know i think that's i think there's a bit of disrespect there you know maybe kind of big club bias where um players who've you know scored far fewer goals than him um get you know far more praise yeah i mean look it, it, it's it's probably one of those things where you'll only truly appreciate exactly how excellent and consistent he has been for us when he's not with us or when he's retired you know i mean i remember hoddle was not uh as respected during his career as he was uh when he when he'd retired i mean this is just the way these things seem to go um and i think the volume of respect that he already has from us as supporters uh, will tell you that uh, he is absolutely one of our all-time so, legends because uh, the, you know the light is going to be so bright when we don't have him anymore. <laughs> We're really going to look back and think, "Crikey!" <laughs> so, at least Harry hasn't been disrespected by England managers quite in the same way that Hoddle was. Well said. Well said. Um, let me ask you a question. I mean, you know, David Ornstein has reported this morning that, you know, Harry is open to signing a new contract. Uh, go on. Uh, I'm sure we've both got a take on it. What's yours? Um, what, in terms of the story or in terms of, I mean, in terms of the Wherever story? Wherever you want to go with it, I'm handing you an open um, an open check there. Um, so in terms of the story, I, th- I mean, I still think that he's likely to leave in the summer. Um, I just it feels like the right time for the club and the player. You know, if he ends up, you know, he's going to break Greece's record now. You know, he's only got one more goal, so he's passed it. So his place at the club is cemented, in history is cemented. Um, he's 30. He's, you know, we're desperately need of a, in need of a rebuild and need cash. And I suspect that um, he's still smarting a bit that, you know, the gentleman's agreement that wasn't written down that he thought he had was never honoured. And I just wonder whether, you know, he's been biding his time since then to, to leave. So I think, um, you know, it's, it's, like, it's his last chance to leave and get a massive pay deal somewhere else. I'm sure we'd chuck a load of money at him his way if he stayed. But um, I think if if the if a decent offer came in, I think both us and, and him might be might be willing to accept it this time. Yeah, I... I, I... <laughs> One of my ambient thoughts, as you said, uh, he's 30. I just thought of that brilliant line from Happy Mondays in King mm. Afro. Son, I'm 30. I only went with your mother because she's dirty and I don't have a decent bone in me. What you get is just what you see. Yeah. Well, what sure, we've seen I'm, with I'm Harry. Not sh- I'm not sure. That <laughs> I'm not. I, I think the, yeah, the dirtiest Harry Kane gets is when his uh, sandwich gets caught in the, uh, in the golf course. It's not... Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A little bit of pickle on his shirt, if you will, uh, get to carry the sandwich metaphor. Um, anyway, sorry for that uh, weird break. <laughs> I just was trying to imagine Harry Kane singing that, but then I remembered he doesn't have a son, so he invalidates the. Um, the uh, anyway, um, I, sorry. As a sidetrack on that, I put on a concert for the Cranberries once, um, and they sound checked to to that, and um, it was just a really song 
artists, song artists. They, they did a good version as well. But um, I'd love to yeah. have heard that. Dolores Reardon singing that song would have been something yeah. I have to say. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and so, you know, what you get is just what you see. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen, I think that Harry wants to win some trophies. I think we've seen that he wants to do it with us but he needs proof that it's going to happen with us in terms of what he sees as structural support. I think he has also seen that the way he tried to get out of the club last year was was botched. Um, and I think we've seen that he's got a lot smarter uh, in, in how he operates off the pitch. And so I, when I heard uh, David Ornstein say this, my first thought was, good for you. You're playing it smart. You're making sure your options are open, and you're not you're not pushing. But I think any everybody knows that you know it, it's it's he's likely to leave. But he's played this right, you know. I, I've no problem. Of course, he's open to signing a new contract, but he's he's playing a bit of a PR game, I think. And and good luck to him. I've no problem with that. Yeah, and I think if he does leave, you know, he can turn around in the summer and say, well, you know, I was, I was open to signing, but I didn't get the assurances that I was looking for, and. Right. Um, you know, I've won the Champions spirit. League, and I finally won the Champions League with Tottenham Hotspur. So I leave you in good shape. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll always be a Tottenham Hotspur fan. I hope to come back one day. You know, that's what he'll say. Yeah. You can see that you can read the PR blurb yes. now. And yeah, frankly, what assurances can you give him? You know, it's uh, you know, I don't yeah. see how you could give it anything. You know, regardless of you know who our chairman is and the track record or anything like that, you can't give someone guarantees of success. And yeah. you know, with five six clubs who outspend us in the league. Um, you know, even if you did, what are they worth? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. So we're on we're on the same page there. Um, returning uh, to the second half, which, by the way, what an odd game with between transport delays and uh, and uh, Paul Tierney's personality pack running out of batteries uh, again in the second half. Uh, I see that they had to put a new chip in for him. Uh, <laughs> I'm referring, of course, to the techn- technological snafus that the Premier League were having. Uh, just kind of weird, actually, the way that was all was going it- on. It's- Considering I was desperate to try and get this pod out tonight and um, <laughs> you know, wrap up that. early, I was thinking, you know, fifteen minute delay, delay to the second, start of the second half. It's just, it's just not going my way. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's actually in my mind. I could hear some angry Geordie tomorrow saying, "Oh, yeah, I wish that guy in twenty one here would stop snoring his head off." <laughs> uh, none of you will know what that was about, but we do. Um, but we, one thing you will notice, uh, have noticed, is that we did sit back in the second half. Um, and Milo, you know, how did you feel about that? And indeed, uh, the way in which we did see the game out, which, you know, well, give us your opinion. I'll give you mine afterwards. Um, it was professional. Um, we, you know, we managed to keep Fulham at arm's length pretty much the whole half. I thought, you know, we'd drop back into a five-four-one. And um, just they just really struggled to find a way through it. I thought it was a you know pretty composed um, second half performance. It wasn't great to watch, but given you know a rotten run of luck recently and you know poor performances, grinding out a one nil win away from home against a team that have been flying and you know they've beaten you know beat Chelsea I think last time out. They you know they've, they've been getting good results. Um, I think makes sense and. I mean, you know that you know that's what I I hoped we were going to try and do against City at, at the weekend was frustrate them, slow the game down, you know, look for opportunities, tip them on the break, but just uh, try and make it difficult for them. Um, and we did the opposite from that. So um, maybe you know Conte has learned from that and and thought um, let's just see it out and um, yeah, 
take the points. I think it made sense, uh, but it wasn't yeah. pretty. Yeah, and just for clarification, that reference to seat 21A is because uh, Milo will be on an early morning train to Newcastle tomorrow for fans of The Game is About Glory, hoping to get a sighting of the great man. I've given you the wrong seat number. However, if you cock an ear to the sky, you will hear him snoring because he will have been rushing to get this pod out tonight before he gets on that train. Ambient thought number two dispensed with. I will say that I thought the second half was really professional. Um, I, I actually felt more confident about our ability to see that out um, than I have um, in a fair few of our other attempts to see out a game. I think we... Uh, the shape was very sensible when we didn't have the ball. It was, uh, you know, it was a five-four-one. It was, it was, it was very, very uh, sharp. No spaces, um, mm-hmm. you know, n- nothing allowed. And I thought it was ex- uh, very significant to me. No crosses were were really uh, being allowed mm-hmm. to come to come in. Uh, people were really putting themselves on the line for that. And I mean, you know, this goes back to one of my complaints in the derby, which is that you know, I know that the ball was shown onto a weaker foot for Saka, but you do have to stop balls coming in, regardless, and you have to show the desire. And I felt that the desire and trust in the pra- in the plan for the second half, it felt that everyone had bought in and everyone was on board and everyone was moving as a cohesive unit. And I think it was uh, really effective. And in fairness, Harry should have broken the record tonight, shouldn't he? Mm. Because he did have that sitter for him. Yeah, absolutely. The Yeah, no, it, uh, it was a really good chance. And I mean, there was another chance later on when we got, um, was it three against one, three against two, when it got pulled back because of, um, because of the injured players that Decky was going through, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so there were definitely chances to make the, the score more respectable. Yeah. So, and I mean, you know, let's talk a little bit about Fulham here. Uh, um, uh, I, I don't know what you thought. And I, I thought that, you know, they, they looked very, very competent. Uh, they looked very, very solid. Um, I, you know, I think they lacked the spark to, to, to hang in the, you know, the, the top six. I think they lacked a little bit there. Um, I did think they were uh, very fortunate to end up with uh, 11 men on the pitch. I mean, I don't know how many more fouls Polino could have yeah. committed. Oh, Polina, sorry, Polino, my my mistake. Polina uh, could have committed uh, to have got a second yellow. And uh, as for Mitrovic, rarely do I praise a, a Christian Romero reckless yellow on the halfway line, but that was one I was really happy about. And truth be told, I was actually a bit re- regretful it wasn't a harder kick because I thought Mitrovic really uh, had that coming to him for some of his early challenges. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, this is Fulham's first season up, so you've got to cut them some slack. I think um, they really took the game to us in the first half and and looked really good. Um, so, uh, you know, I think they're a decent side. Um, and, you know, it's, it's it's good that you've got sides coming out from the championship who are trying to play football and, and being aggressive and, you know, progressive in their approach. Um, and, yeah, I, 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 I liked what I saw of them. You know, I think they ran out of steam in the second half a bit. I think... You know, part of the reason I think for us sitting back in the first time, uh, first half was because we we knew they'd tire and we'd get chances, um, and they did run out of steam a bit. And you know that combined with us, you know, sitting back in numbers and looking to hit them on, the, you know, soak it up and hit them on the break, uh, just meant that the you know second half kind of petered out into you know not much really, but that yeah that's a job done for us. Yeah, I I, I agree. I agree with that. And so, uh, closing thoughts, uh, one positive and one negative in as much time as you want to take, because you've got to edit this before the train tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, the positive is, you know, three points away in a difficult game, you know, difficult game, difficult fixture. Fulham are having a really good season. That's, uh, you know, a really good three points. Um, and we needed that after, you know, these last few runner games. And, you know, we obviously we've got City to come 
next in the league. But then we've got a bit of a kinder run of fixtures. So, um, you know, we get through this month and things start looking a little bit better for us, I think, fixture wise. And uh, again, you know, you're talking about that kind of court of public opinion and the magic bullet stuff we started off this conversation with. You've got to bear in mind that this has been a really tough month, month fixture wise with, you know, this, that city game moved from the, um, uh, the, the, you know, the postponed fixture earlier in the season because of the Queen's death. Um, so, you know, originally we wouldn't have had, you know, the city midweek and, you know, Arsenal so close together. It's made it a tough, a tough month. Um, so yeah, that's, that's good. Negative. I suppose just those silly mistakes in the first half. They're still there. We need to get those out of our game. It, we haven't had a perfect game all season. All season we've had, you know, a good 45 minutes or a good hour at most. Um, there's the, every single game, there's been a period where we've been wobbly and I'd just really like to see us have, a, you know, a good 90 minutes with, without any flapping or silly mistakes or, um, you know. Positive for me uh, was regaining some trust in the Antonio Conte three four three system over a ninety five minute game. Um, really nice to see us, um, you know, attached to it and execute. Um, that was that was really really comforting to me after what we've just been discussing. Uh, the negative uh, look, I'm not going to cast too many, but I will say uh, I wish that Harry had broken the record tonight. It was a negative that he didn't put that sitter away. Oh, and one more positive: a clean sheet. If, mm. if I mean Hugo, Hugo really needed that. I mean, he yeah, really absolutely. did. Not that he was called upon too much, but he did need it. So yeah, I thought he, I thought he grew into the game. Okay, and I think he was a bit yes. wobbly early on, but I thought he got better yeah. as the game went on. It's interesting with Harry on, um, you know, on e- tied. He's going to want to start against Preston at the weekend, isn't he? When really he ought to be sitting it out. Yes, indeed. I mean, I, I took a I took a pause because uh, you know the greatest of respects to Deepdale, I don't see it as the place where I want our, you know our, one of our greatest ever players to break his goal scoring record. He won't give a monkeys. He wants to break it wherever, but I would like him to break it at home against Manchester City as part mm. of a hat trick. But you know, <laughs> there's many things I want that I don't necessarily get. Um, somehow uh, that is bringing us to the week that was, um, uh, and. <laughs> It's hard to know where to start with it, really. Uh, there's no clean or easy way to discuss any of uh, what's been going on uh, in the in, in the last week and a half almost now. So we're going to actually use the week that was, folks, as a structural vehicle more than, you know, our usual informational. We're going to use it as a structural vehicle to get us through, uh, you know, these mounting conversation points. Um, and, uh, you know, Milo, uh, kick us off with uh, the first item on the agenda, which is... Uh, the UVA court case. So an mm. appeal hearing uh, at the Italian Football Federation on Friday banned Fabio Paratici from working in Italy, in football in Italy, for 30 months with a request to extend that uh, going to UEFA and FIFA, which would mean that if that was accepted, he wouldn't be able to work in England. Uh, UVA received a 15-point deduction and other former members of the board also received bans. Um, the charges on this relate to two things. There's um, overvaluing on the, on the books of players that were leaving UVA, which is a way of fiddling financial fair play because when you sell a player, you get all of the money up front on, for FFP. But when you buy a player, it's staggered over the period of the of the contract. So if you can bump up the sale price, at least on the books, then... Uh, then you've got that money immediately. I think there's one um, there's one transfer particularly where you've got uh, a swap deal with very, very high. It's one where Arthur came in and you've got very, very high fees for players who were worth a lot less than that. But it's very tricky to prove in court because what's a player worth? You know, players go for over, you know, over what you think they'd go all the time, um, you know, particularly when uh, Ted Bowley's in town. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and... 
And the other bit that they um, they got caught out for was uh, during uh, the pandemic when there was lockdown, uh, they deferred um, or said that they were deferring payments on, on players when actually the players were still getting paid. Um, so again, it, you know, it, it looks outwardly like they're meeting their ffp obligations you know bringing down their costs and what have you um and but they're not yeah um, before, before we get in, before we get into what you want to ask can i ask you a question here eh? mm. do you think we could help uh both uefa and fifa and everyone when it comes to transfer valuations i mean as you as you say you know how can you truly value a player i would like to propose the are they fucking shit measurement um which uh you know if a player is completely shit then you can confidently say that you overpaid for them. I mean, it could work to your advantage in some ways, and it could work to your disadvantage in others. I'm trying to think, if if we were going to apply that measure... (laughs) I'd like to delay us bringing in this this new ruling until we've managed to shift the deadwood from our squad. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, this is the point, isn't it? I mean, you look at, say, Tony Ndombele, for example, who would probably, by the definition I've just put out there, um, you know, he would... He would pass the test uh, in Tottenham colours, but I mean, he's a good player. But you know, you look at how much we paid for him. Would he? Uh, would he pass the muster? Do you think? Or am I leading us down some stupid conversational alley that we should leave for this week because you've got to be on a train to Newcastle tomorrow? <laughs> um, well, I mean, <laughs> cut um, me off um, if you wish. Hunter <laughs> Bellet cost what he cost because there was a lot of demand for him. He was one of the most highly rated young players in Europe when we signed him. Yeah. Um, you know, that's why he cost a fortune. Um, you know, the market. You know, it's a market, but. Um, you know, I mean, obviously is, there are players. There are players that you see prove, change, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, but 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 it's easier to prove when your director of football writes everything down in a little black book and he's taped record, <laughs> taped uh, having a conversation with other directors saying we're fucked if we're caught doing this. It's not so, a good look, is it? Uh, no, it's not a good look. Um, it's not. I mean, good, I, do you think he? Do you think he's ever worn a suit that's like a hundred percent cashmere or like you know or or, or silk? Uh, I mean, he looks to me like someone who wears rayon suits. Mm. He just he just looks a bit a little bit whoa, a little bit way. I mean, he just I, I is that? Am I going down another one of these weird uh, alleys that I tend to go down I where mean, I'm judging someone unfairly? I mean, I think if you spend that much time talking to agents, it's going to. Kind of, you know, it's not probably the best of company you're keeping, is it? The people you have to schmooze in order to do it, and it obviously likes a deal. What an oily job! It, yeah, you're right. It kind, of, it kind of all goes, it kind of goes with the territory, doesn't it? I mean, I, I think talk about the it, book a little more, would you? Because I'm not sure everyone is fully aware of what you're breaking down there. I am, but I think it's well worth noting. So, I mean, this was the appeal hearing that that happened this week. Those original hearing was in April when the charges were. Um, when they when they were you know they were let off and then in December um, their offices were raided and Paratici had a little black book of notes there which detailed um, <laughs> some of the laugh. transactions and then so and then on top of that they've got they've got WhatsApp messages from Collini haven't they where he's explaining to the players what's happening um, and then uh, yeah and and then there was also bugging of some you know some of the conversations so um, I mean I think. I think they're likely to appeal. Uh, my understanding is that on the on the appeal, um, the charges can't be lengthened or shortened. It's either they're upheld or they're dropped. Um, so if they if they manage to um, you know, muddy the waters or you know find other evidence or build a strong case, then you know the, the, there's a chance that the the, the uh, charges could be dropped. 
Amazon um, have really my, missed my, it. My understanding is Juve's case is based. The, the, so there was lots of other clubs, Italian clubs, involved in this originally, and um, the, the charges against them were dropped. So I think Juve are saying, "Well, hang on, you dropped it against those clubs, but you haven't dropped it against us. That's not fair." Um, yeah. Which they might, have, which quite, might, which might stand. Yeah, but life shouldn't quite work like that, should it? It should be whether you or yourself are guilty or not. I once got stopped with a traffic ticket uh, and I said to the cop, I said, well, everyone's going at this speed. And he said, yeah, but everyone's speeding and I caught you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, be quiet. I mean, look, as the strangler said, nice and sleazy does it, right? I mean, I, I look, I, I just... What should we do? What do you think we should do? Uh, what do you think we will do with regards to whether Fabio Paratici remains as our sporting director, director of football? I mean, look, I've made no secret of the fact I just don't think that we can really afford to be associated with this uh, at this point if we care about our brand meaning anything uh, legitimate. That's my that's my feeling. I don't know what your feeling is. Yeah, but... I agree with that. I think, um, uh, you know, I'd like my club to be clean. I mean, that's... Um, I don't know what that means in kind of modern football, you know, in a world where, you know, you've got well, just widespread uh, corruption and kind of cooking the books with uh, yeah, full sponsorship and all the rest of it in order to beat FFP. Um, but yeah, ideally, you know, ideally I, I'd like us to be clean. I think uh, if I was running the club, I would be saying, thanks, Fabio. Off you go. See you later. Um, what do I think we'll do? I think we'll probably see it out to the end of the season. Um, you know, if he's appealing, it's not going to be a decision imminently. I think likelihood is, is that in the summer, we maybe see a change of director of football and, um, and, and manager. And, um, we soldier on till then is my guess. Um, they're not going to want to let him go with a week left of the transfer market. And in terms of kind of him operating in, in Italy, um, yeah, one of the, one of the, I think, Actually, yeah. When you're judging, uh, uh, when you're judging Paratici, I think actually, you know, most of the players he's brought in have been very good. Uh, but the other thing he's done is he's um, he's uh, brought in a team to work with him. So you know, Greta Steinson and uh, Andy Scalding and Simon Davis and um, what was it Leonardo uh, Gabonini, the chief scout. So he's got you know, built a team there, which is something that we were, we were missing, you know, for a long time. And those are people can all, who are also involved in player negotiations and transfers and what have you. So if, if Paratici can't operate in Italy, then we've got other play, other people who can do that and, um, you know, step into that. Yeah, indeed. But I agree and with then- you. I, I, I agree with you. I'd, I'd be asking him to leave yeah i mean at this point look i think we all somewhat pondered uh exactly uh how he operated in the past but it's out in the open now once you've been busted with your of your you know cooking if you will um you know you we i think we have to react and and we, we both agree but you know let's let's move on from that uh i i think what you've said uh before we move on from that See, this is what happens when you're doing things live. You muddle yourself up and go all over the place. So before we move on from that, I agree with you. I think what you've said is the most likely thing to happen. Uh, so I'm not going to hold any expectations that there's going to be a knight in shining armor that says, no, we cannot have this at our club. I think you're absolutely right. We will probably limp on until the end of the season. Um, but you know, what's been interesting uh, also last week is that finally um, Antonio Conti's decided to speak up a little bit um, about uh, him as a human being, he's a 52 year old man. Uh, 52 is a significant age. Your early 50s are a time of thought and contemplation. And in the press conference for the Man City game, he spoke of the pressures that he has felt these last few months after losing three close friends and also uh, living apart from his wife and daughter. Mm. Um, and we, we all, we, we both heard these, right? I mean, it's, we both heard these comments and it's, you know, 
surprising that he finally is coming out and saying it. I think maybe he felt, look, I have to, I have to, I have to offer you a reason why I may have been a little off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think, um, I'm pleased that he's finally talked about it. I think, um, you know, there's been a science around with, you know, I'm credit to you, Steph. I mean, you were talking about this back in, you know, October when Fatrenny died and I, I had to laugh. I was listening to view from the lane podcast at the weekend and Danny Kenny, Ke- Danny, look, Danny Kelly was kind of giving props to them for picking up on it last week. Uh, and I was, had a little chuckle thinking, well, <laughs> you know, uh, Steph, Steph had picked up on that several months ago, mate. Um, yeah, we were all discussing but, it for sure, yeah. And it was, I mean, we did. We, we discussed it several times and regular listeners will, will have noted that. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's funny when you listen to him talking at the moment, I think, I mean, again, I think probably the best thing to happen would be for him to, to leave and um, do what's right for him and take a little bit of time out and spend some time with his family and um, and all that kind of stuff. Um, looking at his comments, I think his intention is to see the season out. Um, yeah, he's been talking a lot about kind of building a platform, about this job being different from the other jobs he's had and building a platform. And I think if you view it as someone who's looking to work till the summer and you know build to that point and then someone else takes over, I think those comments make sense. I might be misreading it. Uh, but that's that's my reading of it. Yeah, it's 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 quite confusing. I mean, <clears throat> I've always felt uh, somewhat uh, sympathetic towards him, even when he's been at his most frustrating, uh, because he is a very specific man. I think it's very obvious that he he's bordering on two fives and two tens territory in in terms of how he operates and 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 how he uh, manages um, situations. And he wants con- and, his, and his control. He loves control, and and things have been taken out of his control. And yeah, I mean, just to touch back on what you were saying, I mean, my big thing with Ventroni loss was always that he didn't just lose a fitness coach he lost his conciliary I mean that's what the guy looked like to me from the get-go and I think Conti really needs that in his life especially being someone who demands the control over everything that that he they they strives to to get so I I think it's look it's good that he wants to stick around until the summer it's not good that he doesn't want to commit I don't blame him for not committing my only question is how clear is he with the squad as to what his short-term work is going to be till the end of the season because if he's helping put a structure in place I certainly hope it's not a structure that only allows us to play 3-4-3 or 3-5-2 I don't think it can be because I think that's what the director of football is there for and that team Um, I just I, I suppose I'm left feeling that we have to trust that the communication behind the scenes is clear and that the players are still fully invested in what he's doing until, you know, mid to late May or June, if we get to the Champions League final, which I've not given up hope for, hope on. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I've been looking into um, Conte's past and previous clubs and tail offs he's seen there uh, yeah, a bit this week. And I don't think that he would recover this. So if he stayed another year, I don't think he comes out the other side. I think you know if you look at his second season at Chelsea, um, they started the season badly. There were lots of kind of mistakes and errors crept into the game. Um, he was you know, when it was clear that it had been found out, he stuck rigidly to um, to his style of play. Wouldn't change it. Wouldn't change formation. Wouldn't change system. Um, he cut out some players. I mean, I think in terms of uh, how, yeah how he was towards the club and how he was towards the board, it was a lot more antagonistic than he's been towards. Um, you know, the hierarchy at Spurs or the situation at Spurs. I would agree with that. Um, but I think in terms of what you saw on the pitch, there's a lot of similarities. And I, I just think he's 
you know, we knew when he, we appointed him that his tenure at most clubs was pretty short. And I think that's because, you know, his style of play has a very quick impact and then tails off in effectiveness. And I also think the players get bored of his, you know, playing in a, such a rigid way, but also in training, they're going over those moves day after day after day after day for a very long period of time. And that's going to be mind-numbingly boring after a while. The football equivalent of uh, continued TPS reports, I would assume. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I mean, you, you race... But you raised something very interesting to me in the middle of the week that I'd never contemplated. And uh, if you've got a minute or two to share, lovely to share it, which was his actual transfers in that second season with Chelsea, which when you had them, I was really blown away. I mean, you you reminded me um, and you will doubtless remind our listeners that he was um, buying players like Danny Drinkwater and Ross Barkley. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) in in his defence... He was very, very critical of their transfer activity, but I mean, he did, you know, he did force out senior players from the, from the club that summer. So, you know, he, he wanted players gone. The ones they brought in were Murata for 66 million, uh, Bakayoko uh, for 40 million, Danny Drinkwater for 37.9 million, Rudiger for 35 million, Zappa Costa for 25 million, Emerson for 20 million, Giroud for 17 million, Ross Barkley for 16.8 million. Um, yeah, and then a couple of small ones, but uh, yeah, it wasn't a good, good summer's business. And, um, you know, it, he was very critical of the activity, but, um, I think when it's you start, fa- yeah, go on. It's just fascinating because, I mean, it does add, um, another layer of context to, to the whole signings versus not signing support versus not support. I mean, it just makes it clear that it's not as straightforward as we might think. Um, and that, you know, despite the fact I have been very critical of, um, the transfer policy that uh, I feel um, he has worked with uh, because I think that he should be given more. And I'm one of the people who feels, you know, well, if he wants that 60 million pound player, like in three different positions and you have to spell spend my math is terrible um, uh, over 150 million, then do it. But I, what you, when you read that list to me, I was like, well, hang on. If it's going to end up with Ross I don't want Barkley Danny Drinkwater and- <laughs> left on my, yeah. Exactly. On my it makes you think twice. So it just, it mud, what it does is it muddies the waters as to what's really going on. And, and of course, just yeah. reminds us that, you know, there's a lot of hot air and noise floating around. And I mean, the it's, consistent element is Daniel, obviously. And that's a whole other question, a whole other conversation to have not now. But I mean, that point, that point you make around kind of him building the foundation. You know, if we're signing Pedro Porro this, this uh, window, then we have to play three at the back with the, under the next manager because we've built a squad for that. And we can't get into the situation we've had before where we flip between you know contrasting styles and half the players don't work but we can't move them out in time so we've got square pegs in round holes and we kind of soldier through it and then you know after two or three windows that manager goes and then you flip to something else and you know the the truth of the matter is we our center backs it's very difficult to find two that work together you know at a high level in in a back four um you know the signings we're 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 looking for are geared towards that so i think you know, if, if we're looking to replace Conte either now or in the summer, I think we have to uh, look for a manager who's comfortable playing three at the back. Or the rebuilding job's got a lot harder than it you know, already is, and it looks pretty big as it is. And, I mean, just to add a final bit of context to what you said, which I think is very interesting, is if, for whatever reason, we do not sign Pedro Porro, it might have a little less to do with whether we can afford him or are prepared to pay for him and much more to do with where would a Pedro Porro fit into our future, which 
Antonio won't commit to, and so leaves us in that in that really weird area. It's, it's almost like when Harry was in that final six months. And look, I think it was a little more straightforward there because, uh, and I'm talking about Harry Redknapp. Uh, Redknapp, we've gone into that many times on this pod. He taught Hitchley's knickers and so on and so forth. But there's no doubt that Ryan Nelson and Louis Saha were not going to be anything more than a short-term answer if you know there was they were even an answer to the question that we needed solving at the time and sort of in the same position aren't we yeah, yeah so absolutely. uh <clears throat> okay well we, we've done as much as we can i think they're uh, talking about that area of the week that was um and you know there was a game on thursday night last thursday night against manchester city uh look, we lost 4-2 let's uh look let's just Let's just talk about the game. I mean, I, I was watching it uh, on a rerun. Uh, as, as you know, I have been indisposed during the live broadcast. You watched it live, uh, so crack on. <laughs> give us, give us the um, skinny, and I'll come in with the, the repeat. <laughs> um, well, I I ended the first half very happy. I thought it was a, a good performance in the first half. I thought um, we took the game to City. I, you know, I mean. City are a, a good team. It's not, you know, they're going to have passages of play where they challenge you. But I thought, I thought we did a good job of of playing them, and it was different to how we'd played them at their place last season when we had twenty percent of the possession or whatever it was, and then hit them on the break. Um, this was pretty even in terms of possession. I thought we were using the ball quite well. Benton Kerr made such a huge difference coming back, and he really helped us play through uh, the City press and was really, really using the ball well. Um, so I, th- you know, I thought it was, you know, really good. And then, you know, we were pressing high and, you know, my concern was that we wouldn't be able to keep that up for, for 90 minutes because I think there is an issue with, um, with our, our fitness or certainly, you know, twice when we're playing twice a week, you know, being able to carry on, uh, pressing like that. Um, I thought we were physical. And, you know, actually, when you look at that first goal, that came from pressing from a high turnover. You know, Benton Kerr's closing in on Rod, uh, Rodri. Um, it falls to Decky. Um, and, you know, they've been good, you know, good pressing, closing down Ake and, um, you know, and Edison's uh, passing options and the ball comes to us. And you know, just, you know, really, really good play. And, you know, something that that kind of pressing from the front is something we haven't seen a huge amount uh, this season and really... Um, showed how effective it can be when you turn over the ball high and close to a, a team's um, team's goal, and they're and they're out of position. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and you know, the the second goal, you know, Kane shot, um, you know, good persistence persistence to get up and get the cross in, and then Royal following through with the headers. Yeah, uh, really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I, I, my view of that first half was was exactly the same uh, on on review. Uh, we, we the game plan was executed uh, really well, and uh, we flipped the table somewhat on our slow start. We decided to we decided to like push and and come out and 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 like put City under pressure. Half time, two nil. You know, we go into the second half, which should be, by the way, Antonio Conte uh, organises things. Should have been a fait accompli, really. We should have been prepared to put our feet up, have time to go and get snacks, um, possibly drift off to the loo for five minutes, knowing we'd miss absolutely nothing. Um, and, uh, you know, the ball turning square and, and rather slow. But it didn't happen that way, did it? No, I mean, I, I think we should have done the second half, as I said earlier on, what we did against Fulham today. Um what we did instead is we came out the second half and carried on pressing. Um, and I just think that was a really funny what, decision. What, why do you think that is? Do you think that maybe the team like felt, well, we want to prove a point uh, and they lost discipline? And do you think that it was like a... a, a no, what? I think it was a plan. I don't... I think... Um, I mean, Conte would be 
doing his nut if he told them to sit back and they were going out pressing. It must have been the plan. Whether we thought that we needed a three-goal cushion before we could sit back, I don't know. But I would have thought the best plan of, I mean, what I would have done is drop everyone back and put Sun on the halfway line on the shoulder of the last defender and, um, you know, try and play out to Kane and ping over the top and, and see if we can get his season going and give him, you know, give him to, something to do that he's good at. Um, but we didn't do that. We pressed, we, you know, we were a bit too open. We left mistakes. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm leaving a space here for you, Steph, to talk about Perisic as the way you've spoken about Sessignon. Uh, the last couple of weeks because I think we've got an idea of why Sessignon was picked in the North London derby with and Perisic just had a shocker him no and, terrible him, no uh, defending and, that no 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 I mean um, I mean the one thing I will say about Ivan Perisic just if we're making that direct comparison is I at least believe that he believes in himself and I'm still not sure that Ryan Sessignon does believe in himself and the tragedy is if Ryan Sessignon did believe in himself he has the talent to become we're, an we're excellent not, player. So, you know, let's we're not go about, to, so We're not talking about Cesc here. We're talking about Perisic. And, you no, know. no, but you did bring him up in a comparative but, sense. So, look, but, uh, going back to Perisic, I mean, it was it was a shocking performance, a shocker, really. And and look, he's not he's not a great defender. How 33? I mean, he's not going to be a great defender, I don't think. Mentally, he's not set up to be one. He's, uh, he's doing a job and not particularly well, as we could see in that particular instance, when yeah, he's I'm up def- against calibre of that nature. You know, and then we also got let down by Hugo, didn't we again? Yeah, I mean, uh, two yeah, goals. I mean, I mean there. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Mario's had Perisic on toast, didn't he? Really, I mean, the first yeah. one he, he, he lets the yeah. cross in, and then it's a mess in the middle. And Larice decided to dive into the middle of it and uh, came out with nothing. <laughs> Just odd. Um, that's the that's the perfect phrase. It was odd. Given that you, if you're Hugo Lloris and you've had these massive misjudgments in previous games, why would you? That was I, that was odd. That was like schoolboy goalkeeping. And, and I don't think it's he's like come the off kid who line. gets picked to go in goal. It's the kid who gets picked to go in goal and doesn't know what to do. I don't, I don't think he's left his line for about two years, so I don't know what he was doing diving in there. He was like um, watching John Cleese in goal, actually. Yeah, uh, it was a bit a Cleesean move. I think we've got to use that more this... I hope we don't have to use it more this season, but if I see another Hugo Klanger, I might have to see mm. if it passes the Clesian test. Anyway. I'll say, yeah, the second one, Perisic is held off by Mares, and then, um, you know, Haaland's header. Third one, Perisic misses a tackle on Mares. Mares turns, uh, turns and runs and scores. And so it's off Davis's studs, but it goes between Lloris and this post um, on the inside, which he just should never be letting in. No, I mean we never um, we never forgave Ian Walker a near post concession. Well, I don't think no. we forgave anyone, but I remember him conceding a fair few on his near post. So I'm not going to forgive Hugo, and as you're right, neither should we. And I think that third one was key because yeah, we were still in the game at that point. I think and trying for it, and then um, once City got the third, I think they really they really pushed on. Um, and obviously the fourth one, Langley just completely um, misjudged oh. the flight of the ball and um, uh, knocked it into Morris's path. Um, Dyer was slow tracking back there I mean I thought Dyer had a, a really poor I thought he had a poor game as a full stop actually in the first half he was um, misplacing some passes and got a bit I think the, the wobble set in and um, yeah, I mean no one really covered themselves in the glory in the second half apart from maybe in the same defence I thought Romero was okay but um, yeah it wasn't um, it wasn't good I mean we were valiant uh, at 3-2 I mean we were valiantly trying to get into the game we went very we had a couple of uh, close close encounters with the Man City goal but uh, I mean I don't know if you, anyone ever felt 
it was there was an equaliser coming in the final two minutes. So uh, I, I, you know, it just I don't know. It seemed the way that we went out and started, and I, I, you know, forcing the play right after the second half kickoff. It just seemed inevitable, and it seemed that what was going to happen. And it was, yeah, I it was. I didn't couldn't figure out why we did that. That was and that was very confusing to me. I, I agree with you, and I think also it meant that we had nothing left in our tank. So if we'd yeah. sat back, we might have been able to held a bit in reserve. And if City came back into the game, we might have tried to you know either up up the tempo or you know, hit them on the break or, you know, maybe start pressing a bit more. But there was yeah. nothing left. And I think towards the end, you know, Kane was, um, you know, wasn't really closing people down and, um, you know, wasn't able to play with that intensity. And, uh, you know, we've just got too many players in the, in the side who aren't able to play like that over 90 minutes anymore. Um, and it's a real handicap. Yeah, and it'll be fascinating to see if we've learnt uh, the lessons of that 4-2 defeat at the Etihad or Eastlands, as I still prefer to refer to it, uh, when we come up against Manchester City, um, now, next home league game. Mm. So, uh, go on. To run us quickly. Gonna, through, we transfer windows I was, here. I was just going to say, from that City game, I, th- I do think there are some positives, though, because I think we played quite well in the first half. And, you know, it was individual errors. Um, and, you know, not quite. And so I don't think we got the tactics right in the second half. But if we learn from that and we cut out the mistakes, then I think we've got a really good chance. And, you know, City aren't having a great season. They're, you know, they're a great team, but they're not having a great season. Um, and if we turn up and we play like we did in the first half, and we've got a chance. Sorry, are you going to tell me to run through the transfer window quickly? I am, and I'm going to leave the the thoughts on Manchester City uh, right there because we ended on a positive. And I don't want to talk about negatives anymore. I'm sick and tired of it, and I like that. So, yes, transfer window, and thank you for the positive ending to the Man City defeat. <laughs> right. This week, we've been linked with David Rea, Seni Dieng, Nicola Zaniolo, and Pedro Porro. The rumours keep rumbling on. What? Who's this Pedro Porro chap? Never heard of him. Uh. <laughs> just one more week to go until we find out whether, whether any of these come off. Indeed. And I've just looked at the time counter and I see we're like, a, a, I think, an hour and a minute. So we're sort of right within our range. It's probably a perfect time to bring things to an end on this happy Monday. It's <laughs> the happy Mondays. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, yeah, thanks very much, mate. Uh, that was fun, and uh, let's hope that uh, let's hope you don't uh, nod off and miss your train. <laughs> Have you fine. got an alarm set? Yeah, yeah. How I'm many? Do you set one alarm or two? I'm. I well, you know, as you know, I don't sleep a lot, so um, I'll be fine. I've got. Where are we? I'm up in six hours. I've only. Yeah, but how many alarms have you set? That's the question. I'll set one. I'll set one. One. Uh, and what is it? Yeah. Is it like an annoying, or does it music? Like, um, I'm one of these people who wakes up like one minute before the alarm goes off. So I'll set an alarm, but I'll wake up before it and I'll be fine. I have to confess this. And I think it's, I think, I think this is cracking broadcasting (laughs) to quote, to quote someone really important broadcasting for all of you to listen to. I will confess that I have set Derude's sandstorm as my wake up alarm and it's super loud. And every time I jump out of bed, like, Oh fuck. And my, and my wife looks at me and is like, do you have to pick anything else but that? But it gets me up. It gets me up. jump out of bed to Derude sandstorm i don't know what that says about me but perhaps (laughs) i throw out the window (laughs) hey i don't sit around and lie and lie in you know after that but anyway yeah it was fun to chat mate uh we missed obviously we miss obviously our compadres in uh the games about glory team but it's always fun when you and i get to have a natter together so indeed uh, (laughs) they can join join us at the weekend to talk about uh preston north end that's right in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Okay, clean it up. Try and make us sound beautiful in the next half an hour. And uh, folks, you're going to hear this very quickly. So thank you. Congratulations, Harry Kane. Congratulations, us. Congratulations, everyone. 
And yes, the happy Mondays are with us. See you next week.